Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 141 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I am joined by the co-host himself, the elusive Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. It's good to have you back, but there is quite a lot to go over. Of course, we will be speaking to a little bit later on in the show, our 50th world champion. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, before we get into all of that, we need to start, of course, with the review part of the show. We're going to start with a card that actually happened in Barcelona, Spain last week. I believe it was on the Friday. Abigail Medina, a guy really that once upon a time lost to Jamie McDonnell, but really and truly since that loss to Jamie Mack, he seems to have turned into quite a real good fighter. He defended successfully his EBU European Super Bantamweight title, a TKO in the very first round against Anthony Satul, who's now 23-7, and but Abigail Medina, the champion, 19-3 and with two draws now, a real good fighter he's turned out to be. Uh, moving over now to the Middleton Arena in Middleton, Lancashire, United Kingdom. One fight to mention over here, I ask. Um, Marcus Morrison, 16-2. and two. He's now 16-3. and three. Of course, the prospect was being trained, or he's still being trained, by Joe Gallagher. I believe at one point he was 14-0. and 0. He had a real... You know, a real bright and promising future, a real good, you know, good looking, um, you know, professional boxer that seemed to have a real bright future, like I say. But at some point, it, you know, it, it just all went wrong. He took back to back defeats. I think he was 14 and 2. And then after that, he put together two wins against, I mean, you know, much lower kind of opposition. And then he come back here against another guy who, you know, was was not a great fighter. A guy called Alistair Warren with a record of 10 and 18 with four draws. Well, Alistair Warren was able to win on points over eight rounds. So Marcus Morrison once again hits another roadblock. His record now 16 and 3. I'm not quite sure what he does from here. I mean, you know, he's lost now to three guys that he was expected to beat and beat easily. So he's really hit a, a tough patch and a rough patch there. All the very best to Marcus Morrison. He's still young. He's still young enough to rebuild. But some people saying he looks shot already. I'm not sure if it's the hard spars or maybe he's just overtraining. He's got a lot of a lot of good fighters surrounding him in that gym. All the very best to him. Moving over now to the Masonic Temple in Detroit, Michigan, USA. This was quite a good bill, actually, especially for those advocates of women's boxing. Let's start, though, with the undercard. A man was fighting on this one. Umar Salamov, he got win number 21. He's got one loss as well. He also won here. It was the vacant IBF North American light heavyweight title. In the other corner, Brian Howard, 13-1, now 13-2. A KO in the ninth round. It was only a 10-rounder there. So Umar Salamov took over late and got the stoppage. Excellent stuff for him. Moving up the bill, Christina Hammer successfully defended her WBC and WBO world female middleweight title. She took on Tori Nelson, the 41-year-old tough, teak tough female 
Um, and of course, the, the only loss on her record came to Clarissa Shields. Tori Nelson took the loss here, though. It was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. So a good win there for Christina Hammer, who I believe, um, I think she shut Tori Nelson out. So a good win there for her. Moving up the bill to the main event, Clarissa Shields fought for the IBF and WBA World Female Middleweight titles. Um, she actually moved down in weight here so both the belts like I say were vacant and she moved down in weight from super middle to middle she's now got two of the belts so has Christina Hammer got the other two so it'll be a brilliant unification for all four of the trinkets later on this year but anyway this fight here Clarissa Shields moved to 6-0 and it was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds but the shocking part here was that Clarissa Shields was actually knocked down herself in the first round but she was able to get up regroup and turn that switch on of specialness on I guess and she managed to pitch pretty much a shutout from there a 10 round unanimous decision for the new champion Clarissa Shields I think that's I'm sure that's four belts now in just six fights which is truly remarkable it could even be five belts um, world titles of course I'm talking about unbelievable stuff there for Clarissa Shields but because she didn't look so brilliant you know, not not really that. I think she looked good, but where she got the knockdown and it was so unexpected for her to be on the canvas, a lot of people were saying, do you know what? Christina Hammer may be able to give her some real problems. So that is a good thing. I know that the pair actually had some verbals after the fight, which also, you know, it, it adds a bit of spice, I guess. And um, hopefully that'd be a good fight down the line, like I say. But moving over now to... The Montreal Casino in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. One fight to mention over here. A kid on the bill called Stephen Butler. He's only 22 or 23 years of age. He's record 23-1 and one with one draw. I think he had 20 knockouts, so a big puncher. He took on the wily veteran Carson Jones, 40-13 and 13 with three draws. And I tell you what, I'm very impressed with this guy, Stephen Butler. He was able to get the TKO in round seven. Not many people were able to stop Carson Jones, so that shows me that this guy must be quite special look out for Stephen Butler his one loss came to Brandon Cook who is the guy that Kel Brook will be facing um, in a few weeks so yeah that is a little note there but yeah Stephen Butler seems to be quite a good fighter that would certainly indicate so to get the result like that over Carson Jones all the very best to him moving over now to Paris in France of course we had two guys on this bill that are both big friends of the show um Let's start with Suleiman Sissoko, 6-0, of course. He is the bronze medalist from the 2016 Olympics. He took on the former IBF junior middleweight world champion, Carlos Molina, and he was able to pitch a shutout. I am very sad about this, of course. Carlos Molina, a real good friend of mine and a good friend of the show. And that is, I believe, the fourth loss in a row now for Carlos Molina. His record 28-10 and 10 with two draws. And Suleiman Sissoko, clearly a real special fighter and one for the future. Of course, he's got a win over Josh Kelly in the amateurs. He's now 7-0. and 0. Yeah, Carlos Molina sent me a picture of him after the fight and his face is completely unmarked. So he actually told me it was very competitive and it shouldn't have been a shutout, but... You know, of course, the judges saw it differently. And the main event here, Tony Yoka, 4-0, the former gold medalist in the Olympics. He took on our very own Doncaster's tough man, David Allen, or, or I call him Dave Allen most of the time. His record, 13-3 and with two draws. It was a TKO in the 10th and final round in favour of Tony Yoka. So quite a good result, I guess, on paper to stop Dave Allen. Dave Allen didn't have, you know, brilliant 
um, preparation, of course. We know that. He didn't look great on the scales, but he did tough it out. And um, I think he got pretty much beaten every round. You know, he, he showed a good account of himself, of course. But to get the stoppage is quite special because, to be honest... You know, he went the distance with Dillian White and the stoppage came against Luis Ortiz. But Luis Ortiz was really struggling to to legitimately stop him. You know, the referee stopped it mainly because Dave Allen's tongue was pretty much hanging off. So, uh, yeah, quite a statement there from Tony Yoka. And, you know, I'm sad for Dave Allen, of course, a friend of the show. Hopefully he can bounce back. His record now 13-4 and with two draws and Tony Yoka 5-0. and um, we went to the predictions on that, of course, so as you very bravely and boldly went with a Yoka knockout, you got that right, I went with Yoka on points, and the listeners, of course, went with Dave Allen by knockout, so a good win there for you on the Prediction League, guys. Moving over now, though, to Mexico, Miguel Roman moved to win number 60, he's got 12 losses, though, it was a KO in round two against a previously undefeated Michel Marcano, who's 17-0 and going in, now 17-1 and with one draw. This one was for the WBC Feca Box Super Featherweight title. Moving over now, though, to another part of Mexico. Miguel Burchelt, 33-1, put his WBC World Super Featherweight title on the line against Jonathan Victor Barros, 41-5 with one draw. He was a guy that I think Lee Selby dropped and beat um, I think that was last year. And also, this guy had only been stopped once, the Argentinian, Jonathan Victor Barros. And that one stoppage was by Mikey Garcia, the exceptional fighter. I think it was in round eight of their fight there. So, Miguel Bachel makes a real statement here. He gets the TKO in round three. He actually had Barros down in the second round and the third round. And Barros's corner actually decided to stop the fight after three rounds. So, I'm guessing, I haven't seen it, but I'm guessing Miguel Bachel must have put quite a beat on Jonathan Victor Barros. That sends out a true, true statement in that division there. Moving over now, though, to South Africa. A couple of fights over here. Tulani Mbenge, 13-0. He fought for the vacant IBO World Welterweight title against Diego Chavez, a man that... Of course, has got a bit of a, um, a reputation of being quite dirty. He got disqualified against Brandon Rios. He took on Timothy Bradley and I think Keith Furman at one point. Anyway, the TKO came in round seven for Tulani Mbenge. He moves to 14-0. and So quite a statement there for him. He might be a real special fighter there from South Africa. Also on the bill, Tabiso Machunu. He picked up win number 19. He's got four losses as well. It was a TKO in round six of a scheduled 10-round fight against Ricards Bolotniks, who's now 11-5 and five with one draw. Machunu, the guy that beat Eddie Chambers once upon a time. Moving over now, though, to the Sport Palace in Ukraine. Just one wild card, really. A guy on this bill called Stanislav Skorokhod, who was 17-1. and one. He fought for the vacant WBO International Super Welterweight title. And that guy, I has... Um, We've we've joked about his name before. His name's Aram Amir Khanyan. He actually picked up the win here. He's undefeated as well, Amir Khanyan. He's now 11-0 with one draw. It was a split decision win for Amir Khanyan, the travelling fighter to Kiev, Ukraine. So I'm guessing he probably deserved the win there. And like I say, he's the new WBO International Super Welterweight Champion. Big up Amir Khanyan. 
Also, we had the prospect Dennis Baranchek on the bill. He moved to 9-0. and He made Jose Prieto, who was 26-4. and I think I've seen him before a couple of times. Um, yeah, he made Prieto retire and he's still after five rounds. Oleg Malinovsky moved to 23-0. and He took on Wallington Orobio, who retired on his store after five rounds with an injury. Um, so yeah, Malinovsky and Baranchik, two fighters with bright futures, we'd think. Moving over now to the O2 Arena in London, United Kingdom. This was the bill that I was actually there for. A couple fights to mention on the undercard. Daryl Williams picked up win number 17. His record now 17-0, and 0, a TKO in round two. He had his opponent down six times, and it's looking like he may be fighting Umar Sadiq, a prospect, of course, with... Not much professional experience, but I like the way that the beef between these guys is brewing kind of thing. Um, Umar Sadiq, he fought on the bill actually. He picked up win number three, a KO in the third round. He took on Camille Al-Temimi, who was one and two with one draw. His record one and three with one draw now. Umar Sadiq, like I say, a very good amateur. Not much pro experience, but Daryl Williams and him will make for a brilliant, brilliant fight. I believe they're both at super middleweight, so could be a good fight there for Frank Warren Stable. Moving up the bill once again, Reza Hamza moved to 10-0 and with one draw. A points win over six rounds against Sergio Gonzalez. Archie Sharp moved to 13-0. and It was a points win over eight rounds against Lester Cantiliano. Archie Sharp, like I say, 13-0. and and he's looking for that Leon Woodstock fight. So another brilliant, brilliant fight that can be made in the Frank Warren stable. Obviously, everyone knows that I'm very high on Archie Sharp. He's a fantastic, fantastic young fighter. Also on the bill, Johnny Garton moved to 22-1 and with one draw. A TKO in round three against Nelson Altamirano, who's 10-18 and with two draws now. It was a bit of an odd stoppage. I think he kind of got clocked a little bit while he was down and he stayed down. So the referee wasn't buying any of his antics to try and say or try and, you know, suggest that it was an illegal shot. But yeah, a good win there, like I say, for Johnny Garton. Daniel Dubois moved to 8-0, and a TKO in round 5 over Tom Little, who was 10-5, and now 10-6. and It was for the vacant English heavyweight title. Tom Little was down in the 4th. The thing about this fight, Dubois came out within 10, you know, in the first round, as he pretty much does every fight. He doesn't really like to let his opponents get into a groove. He was straight on the front foot, throwing those bombs. And to, you know, to Tom Little's credit, his movement was okay in the first round. He didn't really land much himself. But Tom Little, in the second round, I think he kind of had more success. But what came with that was Dubois' willingness to, you know, to stand there and trade with him. Dubois was the much heavier-handed, of course. Little wasn't really displaying much punching power. I don't think he's, you know, he's one of the hardest hitters in the heavyweight division. And Dubois actually took quite a good left hook himself while he was dishing out some some massive punishment, to be honest. And Little just had a few shaky moments. He just about survived in that second round. The bell came at a good time for him. Not much really happened in the third round, aside from the fact that Dubois had never really, um, he'd never been into the fourth round, which was just about to happen, of course. And then he did go into the fourth round. And like I say, that was the round he put Tom Little down. And like I say, I've got to give Tom Little huge, huge respect because he went in there and, you know, he didn't let the occasion get to him. He didn't let... Um, the man in front of him, you know, getting his head or anything like that, and he came to win for sure. He certainly earned his his money in there. 
And, you know, like I say, in that fourth, he got put down by a body shot. And then in the fifth round, the referee jumped in to save Tom Little, who I think was, you know, a little bit too brave for his own good. He lost every round, and I was happy to see the referee jump in and stop it because I wouldn't have wanted to see Little get knocked out, you know, out out cold kind of thing. I think it was turning really in Dubois' favour at that point. And like I say, when he took a bit of a bit of punishment, I think the referee had seen enough at that point. Good you know, good looking out really from the ref in terms of Tom Little's health. Moving up the bill once again, Anthony Yard moved to sixteen and O. He TKO'd Darius Sec in the seventh round. It was a scheduled ten round fight for the WBO European and WBO Intercontinental Light Heavyweight titles. Both belts of course belonged and still belong to Anthony Yard. Sec was down in the first round from a left hook. Now, um, Darius Sek, of course, had never been stopped in his three losses. One was, of course, to the the reigning European light heavyweight champion. Now, like I say, this was Anthony Yard's first southpaw. But the fight itself, Anthony Yard seemed to not really be able to miss with the lead left hook in the first round especially. He looked really good. Every single one he threw in range, he landed flush. And like I say, Sek got dropped, and he kind of staggered back on his feet and fell. It was hard to really tell if he was genuinely hurt or he was a little bit off balance, but he got up really quickly and he responded well, so fair play to him. Yard was barely letting a right hand go in that first round, but certainly a 10-8, of course. Now, in the second round, Yard was letting the right hand go a lot more. The fight was warming up a little bit. Set came out of his shell as well. Round three and four, Yard showed his class. It was becoming very much one-way traffic at that point. You know, Sek was tough as nows. Everyone in the ringside part of the press rows were all agreeing with that. And in my eyes, it was a perfect kind of opponent to fight as your first southpaw. This guy was tough as nows. And in round five, he had to visit deep water and grit it out because Giard was really starting to smother Sek. And he was walking him down and he was beating the brakes off him, really. It was another fight where... Anthony was getting the good rounds in. He was, you know, he was learning and learning. You could see that he was learning on the job, and he does that not just inside the ring, but also outside of the ring. He really does study the game, Anthony Yard. And in round seven, like I say, Sick actually had quite a decent round. I thought he showed tons of heart. Um, to take the punishment that he took, and he was having a fairly good round, and he did end up with a bloody nose in that seventh as well, but he still, to his credit, kept marching forward, he had so much guts, and I want to see him again over here at some point, Anthony Yard was hurting his man more and more, and after Sek did some stumbling in the corner, and Yard pinned him in that corner, and he let a couple of shots go, the referee jumped in and waved it off, I think it was a little bit premature for my liking. I know that Sex Camp were, were quite annoyed with that. The corner were complaining to the referee, but yeah, I mean it was only gonna be it was only gonna be one winner at that point and he lost pretty much every round. Yeah, he was shipping some punishment and the referee decided to jump in. So like I say, Anthony Yard remains undefeated, remains the champion of two belts. And, of course, remains very, very highly ranked with the WBO. I think he's even sneaking into some of the other sanctioning bodies now. Um, yeah, moving up the bill once again. Paul Kamanga, 21-1, put his WBC International Super Lightweight title on the line against our very own O'Hara Davies, who was 17-1. and The fight only went two rounds, Ayaz. I know that you watched it. Talk us through that fight, Kamanga and O'Hara Davies. Well, uh, Paul Kamanga, I mean... I've actually seen him before. Uh, he's from South Africa as well, and obviously his trainer, um, his promoter, Al Siesta. Um, obviously, Paul Kamanga. Um, I know this round lasted two rounds, but uh, Paul Kamanga. I mean, 
We knew, or we knew, to be honest, the favourite was, we, everyone knew the favourite was going to be O'Hara Davis in this fight. Kamanga took this on a very short notice. Paul Kamanga did try his best, but I mean, O'Hara Davis landed that right hand and Paul Kamanga just fell backwards. But I mean, what a knockout. There's not really much to say about it, but well done for O'Hara Davis. Let's see what he's got next. Yeah, let's see what he's got next. There's a few guys that I'd like to see him in with. Perhaps not, you know, not, not to step him up too quickly. I know that that fight against... Maurice Hooker is probably one for the future for him, but of course you've got Jack Catterall, you've got a few other guys at 140 moving around, especially Frank Warren's got a few. So to be honest, Frank Warren lately, um, you know, he's got fighters that are kind of in the position to fight each other, and they're actually willing for it. Like I say, Umar Sadiq and Daryl Williams, Archie Sharp and Leon Woodstock, Jack Catterall... Um, he's got a tough fight himself coming up this weekend, but if he gets through that, him against O'Hara Davis would be a good fight. And there's a few guys there, actually. So um, I love the fact that they're all willing to fight each other. It's just up to Frank to make those fights happen, and they shouldn't be hard fights to make. I think he's he's shown a few times in the past that he's happy to put his fighters in there with each other. And, um, yeah, there could be some brilliant in-house fights to be made down, down the line. Um not too far down the line as well. But yeah, like you say, as um, O'Hara Davies made short work and quick work, really, of Paul Kamanga. He's the new WBC international super lightweight champion. O'Hara Davies, 18-1. and one. On to the next one. And the main event here, Roberto Garcia, 41-3, took on our very own Martin Murray, 36-4 with one draw. One thing about Roberto Garcia, he had a seriously, seriously padded record. Um, he hadn't lost in, I think it was about eight years. Martin Murray, of course, has fought many, 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 many bigger names. And, you know, he's he's beat some and he's lost to some as well. And he's had some controversy in there as well. But this one, like I say, for the WBC silver middleweight title, Garcia had a point deducted in the second round for a low blow. He had another point deducted in the ninth round for punching the back of Martin Murray's head. He was a real dirty fighter, actually, Roberto Garcia. But the fight itself, um, just, just before we get into it, you know, shout out to Frank Warren, actually, for making the fight happen. Um, you know, he, he he didn't really need to do that for Martin Murray, but I think he's now promoting him. I think they've done some kind of... Um, is that right, Eyes? I think he's done some kind of deal. He's now promoting Martin Murray. It was, it was weird, because in the press conference, Martin was getting at um, Frank Warren for, um, you know, for, for kind of overlooking him when they were talking about Billy Joe fighting Martin Murray and then perhaps in September taking on someone like, you know, a... Uh, well, not in September, I think it was later on in the year, to take on someone like a Golovkin or a Canelo. But now I think they've done a deal, if I'm not mistaken. So quite weird, but yeah, very nice of Frank to get him on the show. You know, he didn't have to waste his two training camps and not have a fight. He fought this guy here. And to be honest, it was a way better fight than I thought it was going to be. It was a very competitive fight throughout. Um, I don't want to say it was competitive when it come down to the scoring, because I think Martin Murray, you know, he won very widely. But I think um, he didn't win the rounds by loads. I think that each round was very, very competitive, although I still think he probably edged a lot of rounds in there. So in the grand scheme of things, it looks like he won very wide. Um, Especially, you know, the points coming off of Garcia really made it look quite wide on the scorecards. Like I say, Garcia fought really dirty. He, you know, he's been around the block in some ways. I think he sparred some good fighters and, you know, he knew every trick in the book to be dirty. And the referee, 
I thought at some points really should have disqualified him actually because he was he was really acting acting very ungentlemanly in there. Um, it is a fight though, you know, and the referee certainly earned his money. He had a lot of work to do. He was he was in between the guys many many times throughout the fight. But yeah, really and truly, I probably gave Garcia one or two rounds maximum. So let's just say I gave him two rounds, and then he had the two points deducted. Then obviously it would be very wide on paper, but. Yeah, um, he seemed to let himself down, really, and his team were really not happy with the result. Uh, you know, the scorecards being as wide as what they were, but I think you couldn't argue with it. He, he, you know, he fought terribly, to be honest, and um, having the points off, you know, it, it just wasn't good for him. But Martin Murray himself didn't look great, and to think that the winner of this fight, like I say, Martin Murray now 37-4 and four with one draw, he could perhaps end up being the mandatory for Gennady Golovkin. That is a rematch I would not want to see one bit. Um... All the very best, though, to Martin Murray, of course. Also on that build, just to just to give a mention to a couple of the prospects, Sam Gilly moved to 5-0. and oh. It was a points win over four rounds against Sam Umidi. Harvey Horn moved to 3-0. and oh. It was a points win over four rounds against Guala Dodu. So, yeah, a good win there for Harvey Horn and a good win there for Sam Gilly. Moving over now, though, to the SSE Hydro in Glasgow, Scotland, United Kingdom. One fight to mention, or two fights to mention, actually, on the undercard here. Chantel Cameron moved to 7-0, and oh, a TKO in round 6 against Natalia Aguirre, who I think we've seen before. I think she maybe took on... Um, oh, boy. Did she take on... That's not the same girl that fought the other week, is it? Am I getting confused? I'm going to have to check that. Um, I'll come back to that in a moment. Martin Bacoli Ilunga, 10-0. and oh, He moved to 11-0. and oh, A TKO in the very first round against D.L. Jones, a man that took Daniel Dubois. Um, I think he took him three or four rounds. So, yeah, if you get the measuring stick out, that's a brilliant win there for Martin Bacoli. Um, this one was for the IBO Continental Heavyweight title as well. And D.L. Jones was down twice before the stoppage. So a TKO, like I say, in the first round there. Um, Josh Taylor, 12-0, and 0, moved to 13-0. and 0, A unanimous decision over 12 rounds against the former WBC world champion Victor Postel. 29-2 now his record. Postel was cut above the right eye in the second round and was down himself from a punch in the 10th round. Ayaz, what did you make of this fight? I know that you tuned in and watched this one from Scotland in the Hydro. Yes, I was more interested in this fight. I'll tell you what. I mean, Josh Taylor, he is a rising star. And I'll tell you, since he's um, since he's joined the professional ranks, he's been a very, very good father. He's fighting a light well. I mean, he's, he's very, very good. He's very southpaw. Uh, he, can, he pivots a lot. He's got a very good, he's got a very good jab. He can hit you with that hand as well. And he dropped, when he dropped, uh, to be honest, Apostol obviously he was a very good testament because I tell you what, Apostol's a former, a former world champion. He's, um, he's had a unification with Ten Scorford and lost. Um, coming into this fight, I personally thought Josh Taylor was going to win on points. I didn't think it was going to be a knockout. The reason why, because I think, um, the reason I said why it was going to be a points at the start, because this is a big test for Josh Taylor. He hasn't gone past 10 rounds. A lot of people wanted to see what he was like. See, with Apostol, he's a very, he's a bit of a pressure fighter. He comes towards you. Right, and Josh Taylor, you can see, was hitting him. The one thing that really annoyed me about this fight was the scoring card. I, I had Josh Taylor winning by a minimum three rounds. I don't. Some judges had it 100, 118, 110. I found that really weird. I don't know what the judges were watching, but well done to Josh Taylor. Now he's now he's mandatory for the uh, for the for the title next. 
Yeah, um, a world title fight next for him. Um, just to quickly go back to Chantel Cameron before I talk about Josh Taylor. Um, Chantel Cameron, this is very interesting. She took on, like I say, Natalia Vanessa Del Val Aguirre. And she has a record of 8 and 12 with three draws. Now, she's not a big puncher. She's never scored a knockout. Of her eight wins, they've all been by decision. Now, she, like I say, has now got 12 losses. She's only been knocked out once, and that was to Chantel Cameron on the weekend, who knocked her out in six rounds. Now, this lady here actually fought Delphine Persoon, that's the WBC World Female Lightweight Champion. She fought her two weeks before. So I'm guessing it's probably not great time to prepare for Chantel Cameron, but she fought for a world title two weeks before, and she lost by a shutout, to be honest, but she did go ten rounds with the world champion, and Chantel Cameron's knocked her out in six. So that is quite special in my eyes. Um, One thing I will say about this lady here, Natalia Aguirre, is that um, before her world title challenge, she actually beat Edith Matisse, who's the sister of Lucas Matisse. So she got a win over her on points. And then, like I say, she fought for a world title in in June, the 9th of June, Delphine Persoon. She lost by unanimous decision over 10 rounds, and then she gets knocked out for the first time in her career against Chantel Cameron. So that is a big, big, big statement there. And um, all the very best to Chantel Cameron. I believe a future world champion for sure. And it's brilliant to think that this, you know, this division's really hotting up now. Chantel Cameron, okay, obviously a lightweight boxer. She's in the same weight class as Katie Taylor. And that would be a absolutely cracking female fight. And I'd love to see it. So all the very best to both girls there. Brilliant win for Chantel Cameron. And like I say, let me just get on to the Josh Taylor fight and just give my... Um, my assessment of it. I felt that, you know, like you said, I as Postal came out on the front foot. He was very aggressive in that first round. In the second round, Taylor adjusted a little bit, probably probably won the second round. And of course, at that point, that's when we first saw the cut on Postal's right eye. It was from a head clash. In the third round, I felt that it was a brilliant, brilliant round the third. It was, it was the best round at that point of the fight. Very competitive round. I felt that Taylor probably just edged it. In the fourth, it was another, it was another good round, but I felt that Postal probably nicked that one. Um, Postal had a great round in, in round five. I gave that one to him as well. In round six, it was a very competitive round, but I felt that Taylor probably did enough to win it in the final minute of that round. In round seven, Taylor started really well, but in the later part of the round, he was in serious trouble. Postal actually made his legs dip once or twice, which was very surprising. And also, Taylor sustained a cut in that round as well. Taylor looked very uncomfortable. He was a sitting duck, actually, for a moment or two in that seventh. Now, in round eight, it was a very, very close round. It could have gone either way. I honestly thought Postal maybe even nicked to that. And in the ninth round, Taylor won that round fairly well. In the tenth round, Taylor was winning massively and he dropped Postal with only about 15 seconds to go. It was a counterpunch left hook. And like I say, Postal was standing square on for just a second and boom, brilliant, brilliant shot. And like I say, he got back up to his credit and the bell came at a very good time for him. So he lost that one 10-8. 
And in the 11th, once again, we were treated to a really, really thrilling round, a very good round, one where Taylor started really well, but Postel ended it really well. Another really close round. And the 12th round was another action-packed round, but I actually gave that one to Taylor. But the scorecards, like you say, Ayaz, were absolutely abysmal. I couldn't believe what I saw. Um, the judges scoring this contest, I'm just going to read it out, actually, while it's here. Um, this is this is really shocking, so brace yourself if you haven't heard it, but I'm sure you have. Um, judge Victor Lachlan, of course, a Scottish judge, he scored it 118-110. Eddie Papo scored it 119-108, and Fernando Barboza scored it 117-110. So that is extremely wide. I actually had it, I as 116-113 in favour of Josh Taylor. So um, you said you had it maybe by three rounds. I had it by three points, of course. That's taken into account the 10-8 round that came uh, in the 10th when Josh Taylor knocked his man down. So, yeah, very, 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 very crazy scorecards there. Um, moving over now, though, to the final fight of the review, and it happened at the Belasco Theatre in Los Angeles, California. Hector Tanahara, the prospect, he moved to 14-0. and It was a win over Roger Gutierrez, who was 19-1 and with one draw, now 19-2 and with one draw. A unanimous decision over eight rounds there for Hector Tanahara. He was actually able to cut his man in the eighth and final round as well. So, once again, he banked some very valuable rounds, Hector Tanahara. Certainly one to watch for the future. But that's really it for the reviewing. Just before we wrap up part one, there's one last thing to do. That, of course, is to welcome our first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO heavyweight champion of the world, Mr. Joseph Parker. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. And uh, good afternoon from Vegas. Hey, it's always my pleasure having you on, Joe. Thank you very much. So, we last spoke in the build-up to the Joshua fight, obviously, that was set for March 31st. I was in Cardiff for that fight. The referee was poor. You weren't really able to fight your fight. Most of the time, when you got in close, the referee pulled you apart. It was frustrating. And after the fight in the press conference, although you were visibly gutted, you handled yourself very pleasantly, very politely, as always. And you earned yourself a bucket load of fans that night. Uh, you know, looking back now, as the time's gone on and you've had time to reflect, would you have done anything different in the fight, or was it physically impossible? Oh, oh, you know, yeah, of course, most most definitely. Now that I look back at the fight, I see a few things I could have done a lot better, and I, you know, I could have put on a lot more pressure. I could have chased him down a bit more. Um, can't really, you know, the rest of the job. Can't really blame them, but I think um, from that fight and from what we we've experienced, I think you know we can go back. And, and practice um, on you know, learn learn from it, and work on the weaknesses that we had. And I think next time I fight him, I'll be a lot more, you know, a lot more ruthless and a lot more, um, you know, just not don't really care. You know, I think I didn't leave everything in the ring, and that's uh, probably my mistake. But it's something that I can uh, improve on. Very honest of you to say that. I want to ask you also, Joseph, was um, was Joshua able to surprise you in any way, or when you got in there, you know, did he fight to how you expected him to? Going into a fight, we thought that you know we we thought from watching all this fights that he was going to come forward and and go for the knockout and, and chasing me down and, and be uh, relentless and ruthless. But he showed um, a lot more composure and he also boxed a lot better than I thought he would box. So he definitely surprised me there and uh, it just shows you know a true champion. He was able to change his style a bit and, and did and he did what he had to do to get the win. So that's um, I give him credit there and respect there. 
And the final two questions just on that Joshua fight, I don't want to look in the past too much. Obviously, you you know, you know, took a few shots off of Joshua. He also took some of your shots. How hard does he hit, and how good is his chin? You know, um, his chin is good chin. You know, the only reason why we said a few things leading up to the fight was just to promote the fight and to help sell it. But, um, you know, truthfully, we know that he's a good fighter and he's got a good chin. You know, he's been down, but he got dropped by someone like Klitschko, who has a lot of power, and his record speaks for itself. And um, no, with that fight, he did, he hit me a few times, but I, I can't really judge his power because he didn't really hit me flush. I think if he did hit me flush, I'll be able to you know, judge his power a lot more. But um, no, with the punches he hit me with, I, I, I rolled a little bit, so I didn't really feel the full force. So I can't really you know, judge where his power is at. But I'm sure he hits a lot, you know, a lot hard, harder because of this, you know, look at his record. You know? he's, he's had 20, 21 fights, 20 knockouts, and no, he's knocked out some guys with good chins. Yeah, fair enough. And this might sound like a little bit of a silly question, but of course you fought Huey Fury, you fought Anthony Joshua. Do you believe Huey Fury could pose any kind of threat to Joshua in the future with his style? Yeah, Huey, Huey's a young, no, a fighter with a lot of talent and a lot of skill. And no, Huey's style can cause anyone trouble. So um, I was fortunate to, to have a fight with Huey and to experience that and, and get the win, but you know, Huey's got a, a big um, big future and a bright future if he continues to listen to his coaches and does uh, follows the path and trains well. I reckon he'll give any fighter trouble. And moving on to what's next for you, you've just signed to fight Dillian White. That fight will take place on July 28th in London. It came as a bit of a shock, actually, to most of the fans and the media. But for you, you're right back in a big fight on a big stage once again. It's brilliant for you. And I'm sure that you're over the moon to be coming back to the UK where so many people have grown to love you so much. Oh, it's brilliant. And it's, um, you know, now this will be my third fight in the UK and um, I'm excited. I'm excited to be fighting there again. I'm excited because that's where the heavyweight scene is at the moment. And it's it's just great to be a part of it. But um, in saying that, you know, we've had a big fight with Joshua. No, we didn't. Boxing is about, you know, the best fighting the best. We consider ourselves you know, at the top. And we believe that Dillian White is at the top as well. So why not get together, fight, and see who the best is? You know, the, the goal is to be champion of the world again. And he wants to be champion of the world. So I think in order to be champion of the world, you have to fight the best out there and get there as fast as you can. And there's no... There's, I don't. I don't think there's um, any point in mucking around fighting guys who you know you'll beat. I think you have to fight guys that will give you challenges and guys that will bring the best out of you, and guys that will help you improve your own craft. What an answer! That's brilliant stuff to hear. Now, obviously, you're currently in Las Vegas. Um, obviously, you're in training camp. When did camp start, and when are you looking to wrap the camp up and you know come over to the UK? Do you know just yet? Yeah. Um. You know, as soon as we announced the fight, that's when I um. I started training camp. As soon as I left London from the announcement, I moved. I obviously flew back to Vegas, started training camp with my coach Kevin and the team here. Um, we're looking at, I think, another three weeks here in Vegas, and then we're going to fly over probably a week and a half out of the fight. And um, just get used to the you know, the time there and the weather, climatize, and uh, settle in. But um, it's a, you know, like I said before, we fought there two times now. So we have a nice structure that we have when we arrive. We have a nice place that we stay at. We have a gym that we use. So it's not really um, unfamiliar territory. You know, it's, it's getting quite familiar for us now to be there. 
Yeah, for sure. And Dillian White is a man that can divide opinion. Um, in that Joshua fight, you know, Joshua is simply loved by everyone. So everyone wanted him to win. They wanted you to lose. But with this Dillian White fight, it's very different. I've seen countless English people that are rooting for you in this fight. Does that give you that extra little push? For me, it's fantastic to have, you know, I know he's got a lot of support there. But um, I think, like you said, the way that our team has been leading up to the fight, we're able to, to gain some some fans and some supporters there. So it's uh, for me, it's, it's I'm over the moon. You know, it's not only going to be a crowd cheering for the only one. There's also going to be a, a, you know, a big crowd cheering for myself, which is uh, fantastic for us. And it'll give us, you know, like I said, if time, times do get hard in the fight and things aren't going my way, and you have a sort of a crowd that's sort of you know, chanting and, and sort of supporting you, that, that gives you extra drive and motivation to, to keep going and, and to push through any hard times. And what do we know about Dillian White as a fighter? I know that you like to watch boxing in your spare time. Have you been able to get a good look at some of Dillian White's previous fights? Yes. You know, his um, his last fight, I was very impressed. You know, even though uh, Lucas Brown didn't sort of um, cause him any problems or, or trouble him, but the way that he controlled the distance, the way he controlled himself and picked the shots was very, very good, for, um, in my opinion. And I've watched his fight with Jasora. I watched a few of his fights, and um, he's the, he's a type of fighter that throws a lot of punches. You know, he throws a lot of punches. He puts on good pressure, but he's also um, now his defense isn't too bad as well. So um, we've been working on a few things that we think we'll be able to to use against him to expose you know, the weaknesses that he has. And should you win this fight? you'd probably be in an even bigger fight next, I'm guessing, without looking too far ahead, of course. If you could fight uh, one of the champions, who would it be? Would it be the Joshua rematch? Would it be against Deontay Wilder for the WBC? If we put the money aside, who would you prefer to fight? Oh, you know, if, if plans do go well and everything goes our way, I, to be totally honest, I don't really care who I fight. It's just whoever. I'm keen to fight anyone and everyone. You know, and um, as long as they're willing to fight, I'm willing to fight. Um, I think like I said, it's, it's this game is this this boxing is about finding the best, and I I don't care who it is. I want to fight the best out there, whoever it is. And there's two guys, so any of them will do for me. But first, like you said, get past uh, Devin White first and and show him the respect that he deserves. Focus on him, and if all goes well, yeah, keen for anyone. And I want to get your opinion on another fight that looks like it may be happening. It's looking more and more like the Joshua and, and Deontay Wilder fight isn't happening anytime soon. Joshua would then have to fight Alexander Povetkin. How do you see that one unfolding? It's a it's a much harder fight than I think people believe it is. Yeah, it's, I think it's a lot harder because of the, the experience Povetkin has. And he's, you know, he's a type of fighter that doesn't shy away from you know, getting into a brawl, chasing you down. And he's not scared, so... Um, a lot of people think it's a, it's an easy fight for Joshua. I see it as um, you know, we will put up a bit of a challenge and it'll be a little bit harder than what people think, but I still think that Joshua has the, the skills, he has the ring experience, and he also has the height and reach to be able to you know, do what he has to do to get the win. And I want to ask you, if you have one, um, how do you see yourself winning come July 28th? What is your prediction, if you can give it to us? Obviously, last time, no one thought that the fight would go the distance. We were all wrong there. <laughs> how do you see this one going? Yeah. Um, to be totally honest, I'm not going to move as much in this fight. Like, I'll move, but I'm going to stand there and, and throw punches because you can't win a fight moving. You know, So I'm going to throw a lot of punches. And the way that I see it is that you know, I want to catch him and knock him out. But and it's going to be a tough challenge, but that's, that's how I want it to end. 
And finally, Joseph, just before I let you go, I always like to give you an opportunity just to send out a message to your UK following. What's your message to those guys just before we let you go? My my message would be uh, thank you guys. Definitely thank you guys for you know, welcoming not only myself but my team into the UK with open arms. You know, we we love coming back and we love the experience of you know, the experience leading up to fights. We love the you know, meeting people, saying hello, catching up with people. And you know, continue to follow us and continue to support us because we're gonna you know, as as a team, we're gonna do our best to put up the best fights we can. And really appreciate the support, the love that we get. And I look forward to seeing everyone once we're back there in a few weeks. Very well said, my man. But listen, Joseph, I wish you all the very best of luck for July 28th. Thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime after. Always, Joey. Thank you, brother. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part. Ayaz, what have you got for us? Um, first of all, um, Brian Jennings will fight Dimitrenko on August the 18th. Yes, that bill to take place in Atlantic City at the Ocean Resort Casino. Um, also on the bill, I think Jesse Hart will be taking on a guy called Gavronsky, who I've seen once or twice before. So quite a decent card there, the two you know, main event and co-main event fights. But yeah, all the very best, of course, to our two friends that are fighting on that bill. Uh, the two home fighters, so to speak. Bryant Jennings and Jesse Hart. But yeah, great card there announced yesterday by Top Rank. Sriskat Rungvasai will return on July the 21st in Thailand. Uh, will face um, Young Gil Bay in a non-title fight over 10 rounds. Yeah, of course. Um, Rungvasai, I'm not going to try and say his, his, his first name, but yeah. Brilliant fighter, of course, right up there with the best in the world in terms of pound for pound. It'll be a good thing to see him in the ring against pretty much anybody, really. You know, there's some big fights for him to be made in the future. I don't really know why this one's going to be a non-title bout. I can't understand that, to be honest. But, um, you know, we've got to bring you the news, and and Ayaz has done that. It's it's a fight I'll be tuning in for, for sure. Callum Johnson will challenge Arthur Baterbiev for the IBF World Light Heavyweight title in America on October the 6th. Yeah, of course, a humongous step up in class from the Buglioni fight last time out for Callum Johnson. Obviously, you know, he achieved his boyhood dream pretty much. He achieved um, what his father said that he could do. And he thought his father was crazy saying that he could go and win a British title, go and win a Commonwealth title. And he did both of those things. And, um, you know, he came on the show. And to be honest, I didn't really know much about him before I spoke to him. And he's a real, real cool guy. He's a real nice guy. And you know what? He's daring to be great. He's going to go out there, he's going to fight a guy that, you know, every time um, Baterbiev has got in the ring, he's knocked his opponent out. And he's going out there to try and beat him. And I tell you what, he's got a real chance. So let's all get behind our very own Callum Johnson here and, you know, respect him, of course, for daring to be great. And I tell you what, if he can pull it off, it will be sensational. So I'm firmly behind him and I wish him the absolute best of luck in October later this year. And finally... The world's boxing super league have announced the super lightweight tournament. Yes, I believe that'll be kickstarting in September, so not too long to wait. Obviously, um, I think perhaps later this week or maybe even next week they're going to be divulging some of the guys that have actually signed up. It's obviously again an eight-man tournament. We do know that Regis Progray is in the tournament. That is for sure. He came on the show. I said to him. You know, it's a rumour that I'm hearing. And he said, no, it's no rumour, it's official. So, you know, that was a little bit of an exclusive, I feel. 
And um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy about that. Hopefully, Josh Taylor can have his name in the hat as well. There's many, many fighters at 140 um, that can get involved in that. Sergei Lipinets, I believe, certainly should be in it as well. And it should be quite a good tournament. So all the very best to everybody in that. And of course, um, you know, we applaud you for signing up for a, such a hard tournament. And it really is, you know, a competition to see the best taking on the best. So um Brilliant stuff for boxing fans. Is that it for the news, Ayaz? Yes, that's it for the news, Joey. Okay, thank you very much, Ayaz. Moving over now to the previewing. Not much to go over, really, this weekend. We're going to start with a card that's happening tomorrow at Martins West. That's the name of the venue. Martins West in a place called Woodlawn in Maryland, USA. Two home fighters on the bill that are both brothers, of course. The two sons of the former heavyweight world champion, Hassim Rackman. We've got Hassim Rackman Jr., 4-0. He's in a four-rounder against Steven Tyner, who's 4-15 with three draws. Also, Sharif Rackman, 2-0. He's in a four-rounder against Talik Taylor, who's 3-10 with one draw. Both the Rackman brothers on that bill. They're both learning at this stage of their careers. We'll give them a pass. Moving over now to the Odyssey Arena in Belfast. This one happening on BT Sport and... Um, I believe Box Nation, and also it's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. I think that's the app in the United States. On this bill, we have Sonny Edwards, the flyweight, 7-0. His opponent yet to be announced. All the very best to Sonny Edwards, a friend of the show. Also, we have Joe Ham, 14-0, fighting for the vacant Celtic super bantamweight title against Tyron McCulloch, who's 10-0. A real 50-50 fight there. Also on the bill, our friend, of course, Mr. Gary Corcoran. He was on, I think, maybe last week or the week before. His record, 17-2. He's in a real 50-50 fight, a 10-rounder against Paddy Gallagher, who's 13-4, and four. no belt on the line there. There doesn't really need a belt on the line there. This is seriously a card packed full of 50-50 fights. So that's a brilliant fight there. All the very best to Gary Corcoran. Also, this one in my eyes is probably the fight of the bill, to be honest. Tyrone McKenna, 16-0 with one draw, takes on Jack Catterall, 21-0. Another 10-rounder there, a brilliant, brilliant step up for both guys, and that is Another brilliant fight, like I said earlier on in the show, that is being made between two Frank Warren fighters. I'm not 100% sure if Tyrone McKenna is actually with Frank Warren. I could be wrong. But yeah, of course, we know that Jack Catterall is with Frank Warren and it's a brilliant fight. And it's a real risky fight. And of course, like I say, um, Frank Warren's throwing his man in there. Or probably two of his men, I'd have to check that one. But yeah, brilliant fight nonetheless. Also on the bill, another 50-50. John O'Carroll, 15-0, puts his IBF Intercontinental Super Featherweight title on the line against Declan Geraghty, 17-2. A 12-round contest there, of course. And that should be another thrilling fight. So I've, I've just named about three or four 50-50s. You've got to be watching this card if you have time on Saturday night. And just to top things off, the the homecoming of Michael Conlon, 7-0. He's in an eight-rounder against Adilson Dos Santos, who's 19-4. and um, Only people with a good memory will remember that Adilson Dos Santos is a Brazilian fighter that came over a few years ago and ended up losing to Kid Galahad. It was before Kid Galahad got suspended. I think it may have even been his last fight before he got suspended. I could be wrong about that, but I do remember he, you know, this guy lost to Kid Galahad, so I'm expecting Michael Conlon to do a job on him and look good, but it's brilliant for those Belfast fans that are going to be there to see him in the flesh, fighting as a pro, so all the very best to everybody involved on that bill there. Moving over now to the North Knots Arena 
in Nottinghamshire, United Kingdom. Um, just want to give a shout out here to Dex Spellman, who's 11 and 1. Obviously, his last fight was against Scott Westgarth, where um, he actually lost the fight. And then, of course, you know, about 10 minutes after the fight, Scott Westgarth lost his life. Um, you know, you know that that whole thing was very well covered. Everybody knows about that. And Dex Spellman himself, you know, he, he's, um, you know, he's, he's become very, very scarred by those events that occurred there. And this is his first time returning to the ring, so we're all behind him, and hopefully he can get the job done. His opponent yet to be announced. It's only a six rounder. All the very best to Dex Spellman. Obviously, going through a lot himself. Um, Moving over now, though, to the Holt Suite in Villa Park, Birmingham, West Midlands, United Kingdom. We have topping the bill, Sam Eggington, 22-4. His opponent yet to be announced. It's a 10-rounder there. Nothing else really on the undercard. John Pegg is the man, if I'm not mistaken, who's putting together most of this. So all the very best to John Pegg. That is the trainer, if you didn't know, of Sam Eggington. Um, yeah, so a decent little card there for Birmingham. Also, we left it out of the news part of the show because while we've been recording this show, the press conference is taking place right now. Um, the Amir Khan press conference in Birmingham where, of course, Amir Khan's opponent will be announced. We are going to miss that out just for now, but we'll talk about that perhaps at the end of the show when we've spoken to the second guest because as of right now when we're recording this, there is no news just yet. I think the press conference has either started about five minutes ago or is about to start. Uh, moving over now, though, to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. A return of a man that I grew to like very, very much in the light heavyweight division. Joe Smith Jr., 23-2. and two. He returns to the ring the first time after losing to Sullivan Barrera. He takes on Melvin Russell, 11-4 and four with two draws. Quite an easy fight back, I guess, there for Joe Smith Jr., a man that really and truly could have been fighter of the year. I think it was 2016. He was certainly up there with a shout, um, you know, on our podcast, I as when we were talking about fighters of the year. We all like Joe Smith Jr. Um, and also on that bill, Cassius Cheney, the undefeated heavyweight prospect, 12-0. and 0. He's in a four-rounder against Elder Hernandez, who's 5-2. and 2. And the final bill to mention, there is one or two fights to mention on this card. It's happening at the Chesapeake Energy Arena in Oklahoma City, USA. It's going to be shown on ESPN in the States, a top-ranked bill here. We have... Um we have we have the former world champion Mike Alvarado, thirty eight and four. He gets in there against Martin Ankel Martinez, who's eighteen and fourteen with one draw. I'd expect Mike Alvarado to probably win that fight. I'm not quite sure what he's doing fighting people like this at this stage of his career. Also on the bill, Alex Salcedo, twenty seven and zero, takes on Leonardo Zapavigna, thirty seven and three. That should be a decent fight there. That of course is a ten round contest. Zappa Vigna's most recent loss came to Sergei Lipinets in 2016 by a knockout in the 8th round. Aside from that, I mean, he's he's a decent fighter, so that's a real step up there for Salcedo. And the main event on this bill, Gilberto Ramirez, 37-0. and 0. He's got one of the longest undefeated streaks in boxing. He puts his WBO World Super Middleweight title on the line against Roma Angulo, who's actually 23-0. and 0. So both men's combined records here... 60 and oh that really is quite unbelievable but this guy Roma Angulo he's a Colombian fighter to be honest if you look down his resume he doesn't really have the opponents there 
even though he's got all wins and, you know, he's quite a heavy-handed guy, 20 knockouts from 23 wins, all Colombians have got that power, to be honest. The Colombians have always had the power. The Mexicans have always had the grit and toughness. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, the names aren't really on his resume. A lot of guys with losing records on there, to be honest. And this is his real big step up. In his last fight, he took on Everett Bravo, who's not a great fighter. And he was able to knock him out in a round, which I guess is quite impressive. But, you know, Everett Bravo is not really up to much himself, to be honest. Um, you know, he's been knocked out most of his losses. So, yeah, I'm expecting Gilberto Ramirez to do a job here. It's one of those fights where I think we're going to find out, um, you know, the... Um, the misleading padded record of Roma Angulo. I could be wrong, but I don't think I will be. I think Gilberto Ramirez could even possibly get a stoppage here. Um, you know, in his last fight when he took on Habib Ahmed, he was you know he was undefeated, 25 and 0 with one draw. And Gilberto Ramirez exposed him for what he was and knocked him out in six. I reckon probably the same kind of fight here. And I will expect Gilberto Ramirez to move to 38 and 0 and remain the WBO world super middleweight champion but that's really it for the preview and like i say we'll talk about the khan announcement just after we've spoken to our second guest who we're about to welcome right now just before we wrap up part two we've done the reviewing we gave you the preview and we gave you the news we brought you the first guest just before we wrap up part two it's time to welcome guest number two Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning WBO super bantamweight champion of the world, Mr. Isaac Dogbo. Isaac, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Isaac, first things first, you've, you know, you've got a very interesting background. Of course, you were born in Ghana. You came over to the UK. You spent a lot of time over here. We've tried our hardest to fully adopt you as one of our own. You know, you've almost got two nationalities on your back every time you step in the ring. I would say that I was, I, I, I was born in Ghana, but made in Britain. I came, I came over around, I think, seven or eight. And, um, yeah, I had all my education here. And um, this was this where I learned boxing from. This was boxing for me all started. And, um, you know, I always say that the queen and country has done great things. And um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a South London, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a South London kid. So, yeah. Excellent, man. Excellent, excellent. And of course, we've seen in boxing many, many father and son relationships. Obviously, you know, your father is your trainer. It seems to be working fantastically. One thing that is special is that, of course, your dad, um, he pretty much taught himself, if I'm not mistaken, from scratch. But tell me, is it better to have your father training you than anybody else in the world from your point of view? I think, I think it is because, um, you know, for me, for me personally, it is. Because I mean, at times you need that push, you know. And when you when you have your father with you, the 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 sort of things where you not you do with other coaches, you not do you not do it with him because you have that much respect, you know. But when you have other people, sometimes you you might psychologically you might think that oh you are getting paid to do this anyway, so they cannot put 110 percent and over time in it. But if you're doing it with your family. They know they know the dangers of the sport. They know what what it takes to be a champion. They know the sort of things where you know it's like you it's like you being in school. You can go to school normal as every person, every any other person, but then you have to do the extra work. You get what I'm trying to say. So that's for me. Um, I think is a um, I find I find it that way better until you are grown and mature matured enough to be on your own two feet, to, to do your own stuff. That's when, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, of of course, your father, you know, he's got your he's got your best interests at heart as well. Which I'm not going to say exactly. other trainers don't, but of course, you know, no one can have your back kind of thing like a family member. And obviously, your nickname is the Brave Son. Where did that originate from? The uh, the Brave Son Ralph when I was in amateurs. You know, um, I was young, I was young, I was young, and then you know, um, young and doing wonders, as you say. <laughs> so, you know, that's where the brave son came about. You know, my grandfather, you know, I come from one of the royal families in Ghana, subject by the royal house. And, um, I mean, they are, they, are, they are brave warriors. So, you know, with everything they said, you know, um, how I was fighting and everything, people always say, that, oh, this guy, you know, he's brave. He's a brave kid. And that's where the brave son came from because of the uh, royal heritage. Oh, excellent, man! I yeah. never knew that. So we That's... are, we are, we are, we are warriors. But then when I, when I, when I, when I um, turned pro, you know, we changed it to Royal Storm. The Royal Sun now. Royal Storm. Royal Storm. Ah, right. Okay, that's cool, man. That's that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. But I wanna I wanna reflect momentarily on that win. That, that title win, of course, on April 28th in Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia is a very hard place to go to and win a world title. You were, of course, the underdog going into the fight. How difficult was it from your point of view, and how deep did you need to dig to win the title in the fashion that you won it? Well, you know, um, going into the fight, every fight we take, we take as a world title fight anyway. But regardless of whoever is in front of us, you have to work. You have to go there and do what you have to do and get the win. You know, um, I was I feel, I feel blessed. And um, first and foremost, I should say I thank God, you know, for, for giving us victory, for bringing, for putting me where I am today. Because without him, none of this would have been possible. Going into the fight, we had no doubt. All we knew was that we were going to go there and we are going to take the title. You know, we've worked so hard over the years. You know, with my size and everything, I've always have to work extra. That's that's the mentality that my father has always um, placed in me. You know, um, that look, you are a little guy. Most of these people, and you are young. Most of these people, they will be they will be older than you. My, others will be taller than you. You have to work extra. You know, so we've always done it that way. We've always done it the hard way. And um, you know, at this at this moment, it's, it's, everything is paying off. Not only did you take his world title, of course, you took away his undefeated record. It wasn't the ideal start for you, though, Isaac. Obviously, you walked onto a shot in the first round. You found yourself on the floor. But in round five, you were able to drop the champion with a short right hook. And what impressed me most, Isaac, is when when, when Magdaleno got back up, you know, he kept his gloves up and you didn't get desperate. You know, you, you really took your time. You didn't rush anything. And you decided because his gloves were up, you started to really rip the big shots into the body. And it was just a real experience you know, display from yourself. And then obviously in the 11th round, from what I recall, Magdaleno had your left arm trapped. And when the referee told him to let go, you hit him with a one-two combination that put him down. Then, of course, the second knockdown in the 11th round where you caught him with a very nice long left hook right round the back of his guard. And that was all she wrote. Um, 
it was just a brilliant display, Isaac. And the one thing that really stood out to me is you look so mature. You just look like a guy who... You look like the champion. You look like the guy who had been, you know, in, in many world title fights because you didn't rush anything. You took your time. It was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. And, um, you know, um, well, the thing is this. Jesse, yeah, he did, he, he did catch me with, with a shot. But then sometimes you have, to, you have to look beyond the expectations of other people. I mean, they, they said I was an underdog. Everyone thought that, that this was a step too far. Jesse was too experienced, and you know he had he had all the all the credit and everything in this world. But I always say that it is God that prepares my hands for war and prepares my fingers for battle. So whenever I'm going into a fight, I know that with God all things are possible. So I have no fear. All I have to do, all all, all I have is, conf- is is confidence. You know, because I know that. When I step in the ring, it is God that's going to fight the battle for me. Everyone, every, everybody, 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 um, everyone is destined for greatness. But then you have to look, you have to dig deep. You have to, you have to dig deep, and before, before you can, you can let that, you can let that um, gift or favor. You have to bring it to light. It has to manifest into in, into itself. You know. So going out there to do what we have to do. Um, it's, it's a collective effort of many uh, many people. The team is a team effort. You know, my team. You know, they 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 we work so hard, and right now, you know, it's a blessing that we we accomplish our goal. And like I say, if I could describe your performance in one word, the word that jumps out to me is mature, because like I say, you didn't rush anything. He was talking to you in the ring. You didn't fall for it. You had him hurt. You didn't get desperate. Of course, it was your first world title fight, and you didn't let the occasion get to you. You, you know, you, you actually looked, like I say, the, the more experienced man in there. You looked like you'd had te- you know 10 world title fights before, even though you're only 23. Where does that composure come from? How did you stay so relaxed and calm? Well, you know, from a very young age, I was fan of world champions. You know, Carl Frampton, I see Carl Frampton as a, as a big brother, you know. Um, before I turned pro, I was fan with him. And we used to go hard rounds. You know, I held my own. And and then, you know, I went to, um, I was based in California for some time. I was fan with um, Santa Cruz. I fired with Escandon. Uh, you know, so all these things, it builds up. It's like you. It's like your work experience. <laughs> you get what I'm trying to say. So yeah, everything, 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 everything. One day, all all comes together. For sure, it certainly did. And now, of course, you've made history. You've become Ghana's youngest ever world champion. Along with that, you've also put your name in the hat for some huge fights at Super Bantamweight. You've got the likes of Ray Vargas, Daniel Roman, Ryosuke Iwasa. You know, they're all the other champions. The number one rated guy in the WBO is currently, if I'm not mistaken, Diego De La Hoya. I know that last week you announced your next fight will be on August 25th. At this stage, yeah. you have no opponent yet. Do you know when we're likely to hear an announcement on that? Hopefully by this week or next. Okay. Okay, by the end of this week or next. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. And do you know yet where the fight will be taking place? I'm guessing it's going to be in the States again? Yeah, it'll be in the States be in the states okay and how important for you is it now because obviously you know every fighter's dream is to win a world title you've done that do you now have a new ambition to try and defend it in ghana at all is that something you'd love to do well you know the 
our 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 aim is to is, is to is, is to overcome this next hurdle. That's our first defense, and then from then on, we are looking to um we are looking to unify. We know that Danny Roman is almost is almost done. Um, we set for unification fight with him, hopefully in in December. So, yeah, by the ending of um December, um, we we're hoping for unification match with the WBA champion. Brilliant, man. Brilliant. I like the way that you're not really wasting any time. You want the big fights and you're still so young. Um, I just want to ask you the last two questions now. What are some of the fighters that you've watched, maybe from a few years ago, what are some of the fighters that you you know, you, you like to watch most when it comes to watching footage? Because when I looked at you straight away, I thought that you you had something a bit Chris Eubank Sr. about you. Um, well, you know, um, we from from a very young age, we I see I see I used to watch a lot of these old fighters, you know. Um I mean, I love Chris Eubank Junior. I love I love a bit of, you know, Kazaki. I love a bit of Ricky Hatton, you know, those body shots. I watch a, a bit of um Roberto Duran. I mean, you have to you have to be all around. James Tony, you know. So yeah, you have to be all around because Boxing, you don't know what your opponent brings to the table. So you have to be able to adapt to every style that they bring. And that's, you know, um, I guess it's, uh, I don't know. It just, it just, it just, um, it happens, you know. Once you keep watching something, it keeps, it, it, it sticks with you for a while. You yeah, know, like so say. yeah. And like I say, you certainly adapted to Magdaleno like a, like a fish to water in some ways. Um, coming coming to the last question now, Isaac. I just really wanted to ask you if there was anything that you want to say that I perhaps haven't asked you. Anything that you want to get off your chest just before we let you go. Say anything you like, my friend. Well, you know, um, I just would really love to say a big thank you to all my fans. You know, I keep saying that um, Isaac Dugbe, we are looking forward to making the division exciting. Um, you know, that's why we're calling out the big fights, you know, lots of, um, you know, all the world champions in my weight division. And from then on, we're hoping to, you know, um, move up to the next weight category and, you know, challenge the world champion there too. That's what's covered there. So we've got, we've got, we've got, we've got big dreams and ambitions, you know, up ahead. And um, I just want to thank everyone that has contributed highly you know, in, into in, into me. So, if I if I haven't if I haven't mentioned your name, if I haven't mentioned anybody's name. Just know that I'm very very grateful, and God bless you all. Very well said, my friend. And where can people follow you on Twitter and Instagram? Just before you go, Instagram Isaac Bravesman, Twitter Isaac Bugbe, and okay. um, you can also click hit the like on my Facebook Isaac Bugbe. Very well said, my friend. Excellent stuff. But listen, Isaac, it's been my pleasure interviewing you today, Sarah. I wish you the best of luck for your fight on August 25th, and we'll catch up sometime after, I'm sure. Okay. Thank you. Okay, and that's all we have time for this week. Amir Khan will be fighting Samuel Vargas on September the 8th in Birmingham. Sammy Vargas is a man who boasts a record of 29-3 and with two draws. Of his three losses, he's been stopped twice. 
Um, once by Errol Spence in round four back in 2015, and most recently he got stopped by Danny Garcia in seven. Uh, that was late 2016. Anyway, I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumer has been I as Sumer. This has been episode 141 of the Box Hard Podcast. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, our 50th world champion, the youngest Ghanaian world champion in history, Mr. Isaac Dogbo, and the former WBO heavyweight world champion himself, Mr. Joseph Parker. The biggest thanks of all goes out to you, the listeners. The Prediction League currently stands at myself on 46, you, the listeners, on 50, and Iaz, with his two correct predictions last weekend, he's managed to catch up. He's now on 50 points also. He has leveled the scores. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we'll catch you all again next week.